0: This is The Sidebar for the week of March 3rd, 2017. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Every Friday, C-SPAN's The Sidebar goes beyond the headlines of the stories shaping the conversation in Washington and across the country with interviews that provide background and context to the issues and the events dominating the news cycle. Our guest this week is Jose Antonio Vargas. He's a journalist, filmmaker, immigration rights activist, and the founder of the nonprofit group Define American. We talked with him about how the media covers the immigration issue.
1: Why is it to this day that the Washington Post and the New York Times and other news organizations still see it fit? To call, to call people broadly illegal. So the people right now, the young people right now who have DACA, you know, that, that executive order that President Obama signed, they have right now, by law, temporary legal status to be in the United States. And yet you read stories and hear stories all the time of these young people with that, with that program being called illegal, that's actually factually incorrect.
0: We also discussed the rapidly changing look of immigration in the United States, President Trump's immigration policy, and why he went public with his story on his undocumented status in 2011. Joining us from New York is Jose Antonio Vargas. Thanks very much for being with us. We appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: It's good to catch up with you, and I want to begin by asking you, What was it like to be inside the House Chamber on Tuesday evening with President Trump and his speech that focused in part on immigration? You were a guest of Leader Pelosi, correct?
1: Yes, I was a guest uh, of Leader Pelosi, and you know, I, I I grew up in the Bay Area in San Francisco, and I actually used to live and work in her district. So people on people on Twitter have been saying, like you know, is this why did you know why did liberal Pelosi have to invite illegal alien Jose Vargas? (laughs) And the answer to that is because I lived in her district. I'm actually from her district. So that's and I accepted the invitation and I was very honored that she asked, um, especially because she knew what she was asking um, in terms of what the risks were. for me and also for her right like for the for the leader one of the leaders of the democratic party to ask an undocumented person to the joint session i thought was a courageous move on her part
0: you're a journalist you spend a lot of time here in washington dc but what was it like what was going through your mind
1: yeah and, you know you Steve like I met you when I was at the Washington Post um, I think when I was starting to cover the 2008 campaign and what was going I mean a lot was going through my mind I, I felt very privileged to sit in the House chamber um, for this historic speech uh, it was for me fascinating watching the reporters in the gallery uh, you know i'm that's my identity you know I've been a journalist since I was a teenager and this is my how I think of the world as a journalist. And I have to say, I don't know how you feel about this, but President Trump is President Trump, in large part because of what the news media has failed to tell the American public about immigration and who these quote-unquote illegal people are. For the most part, immigration in this country is discussed in purely political partisan terms. And how we in the news media have bought into the narrative that Trump has sold this as as a candidate, and now Trump is you know governing as a president, it's just journalistically irresponsible. So it's been fascinating since the speech to watch cable news and listen to the pundits. Um, you know, and we have a real punditry problem in this country as well. And you know, and to watch how little uh, challenge the news media has made about the immigration proposals that the president outlined in the speech, right? Like, why? I don't know about you, but have you heard any journalists actually question the fact that undocumented people are less likely to commit crimes than native-born Americans? Study after study after study shows that there is no correlation between being in this country illegally and being quote unquote a dangerous criminal. There's just no study that notes that, and yet we just accept it, right? When that he had he got a loud loud boo in the audience inside the chamber when President Trump um, mentioned the creation of a voice program. Right. I don't know if you remember this. And it was victims,
0: victims
1: of immigration, crime engagement, voice, voice. And actually, you know, I, I was really proud that Define American, which is this organization that I founded, um, yeah, the, the following day, the following morning after the speech at the, at the, at the Murrow Room, of all places, the Edward Murrow Room at the National Press Club, Define American held a press conference of undocumented people, of undocumented immigrants, many of whom were actually guests. During the, This is probably the most ever undocumented immigrants that were allowed to be in the House chamber as the president gives a speech. Uh, There were quite a few of us. So we had a press conference Tuesday morning, basically making sure that the news media understood and understands what the consequences are, and most importantly, what the facts and the context are. Now, we had maybe 10 reporters there at most. Mm -hmm. It's been really hard, Steve. It's been really hard um, trying to get the attention of the news media, especially the D.C. news media. To care about this issue outside of what Trump is saying.
0: Which is why we are so glad to talk to you about this, uh, Jose Vargas. I did not realize that the fastest growing undocumented immigrant population, Asians, come yeah. to this country.
1: Isn't that incredible that people don't know that? And did you know, Steve, that 40% of the people who are illegally, actually just, you know, not just, but 40% of the undocumented population overstayed their visa? So they came in legally. And then fell out of status. I mean, you know, we are looking at an outdated immigration system that really has not seriously been
0: reframed since 1965. So why is it so broken and how do you fix it? Because as you well know, when you cover this story, George W. Bush tried to come up with a compromise uh, 11 years ago. Republicans said, no way. We're still, I guess, paying the price of what happened when Ronald Reagan was able to work with Democrats on an immigration plan that many say uh, opened the doors for many illegals to come to this country.
1: Well, actually, you, you, know, you know what that program did. What that program did is the 1986, quote-unquote, amnesty program, right? Um, one of the things that that did was it did not hold employers accountable, right? Look, we're in America— America is addicted to cheap labor. You know, I mean, talk to black people who built the South. Talk to the Irish and the Chinese who built the railroads, right? So we put a sign outside of the U.S.-Mexico borders saying, keep out. Then 10 yards in, what do we say? Help wanted. Look at Texas. 1.8 million undocumented people in the state of Texas. Half of the construction workers in Texas are here uh, without papers, right? The construction economy of Texas would collapse without us and now because of the president's executive orders right someone driving in texas without a license is quote-unquote a criminal now mind you i don't know the last time you were in texas i don't remember seeing like a good subway bus system in Texas. <laughs> so like if people have jobs how are they supposed to go to work how are they supposed to drop their kids off to school how are they supposed to go to walmart how are they supposed to go to church and, and the fact that the American public is not aware of these facts and the context in which the news is being taught to them, I mean, again, like, I don't, you know, it's so easy to blame us in the news media. And, you know, as a journalist myself, I, you know, you, you get tired when we're always the ones being blamed. But the reality is when it comes to this issue, the journalistic failure is oceanic
0: to me. And many people point to the buildup to the war in Iraq in 2003, 2004, that The White House press corps, that the journalism community, did not ask the right questions back then. So in the context of what you're talking about with the issue of immigration, how the Trump campaign was covered in 2016, especially in the primaries, giving so much attention in media coverage to Donald Trump, what do you think needs to go on inside newsrooms, whether The Washington Post, The New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, or The Sacramento Bee?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I have to say, by the way, I mean, it's very important to you to acknowledge this. There are absolutely journalists out there who are trying to do a good job, right? Who are trying to cover this contextually and, you know, factually. Someone like Maria Hinojosa, for example. Um, you know, there's a columnist actually at the Sacramento Bee, um, Marcus Breton, I think is his name, um, who's done a, you know, a really good job contextualizing this, and. To me though, I have to say that I think for the most part the 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 extreme partisanship in which the news is framed has gotten us to this point as well, right? Immigration is not a Repub- it's not a republican issue or it's not a democrat issue. It's a republican and democrat issue, right? Like, this is not, you know, I mean, I've heard people say that, of course we can't pass immigration reform. If you pass immigration reform, then all these illegals are going to be Democrats, when the reality is, under the Obama administration, under the watch of Democratic leaders, you know, more than 2.5 million immigrants were deported. That's more more than any any other, you know, in, like, modern presidential history. So what is happening under Trump happened under Obama. It's just that now, you know, I mean, the Democrats, you know, we have to give credit where credit is due. The Democrats have been on the right side of this issue because they're constituents. They have to be on the right side of the issue. So now how do you get Republicans, many of whom represent predominantly white districts in this country, to realize that immigration is not only a political issue, not only is it a human rights issue, but it's actually an American issue. As I was sitting there in the House chamber, I was looking at Speaker Ryan and thinking about the comment that he made in the past about how he would not be here without the potato famine in Ireland, right? And his you know, ancestors came to America because of that. Now, they came to America when there, were no, when there was no border patrol, when there was no visa requirements. They just showed up, you know, make sure that they, that they didn't have a disease. You know, there, there was a vetting system, so to speak but not the vetting system that we have now, right? And making those connections to me is really, really important because I think one of the things that we in the news media haven't fully explored is why are people coming in the first place, right? Like what does U.S. foreign policy and U.S. trade agreements have to do with migration pattern? When the president says that his worldview is America first, Well, what has America done across the world that causes people to move to America? It's beyond the simplistic, this is the American dream, we want a better life for our children. It's deeper than that. So, journalistically, we have to examine that. We have to connect the dots. We have to provide context.
0: And I want to connect the dots with your own story, which has been well-documented. But first, you've used the word illegal versus undocumented. Can you explain the two, and what's the difference?
1: Well— I mean, first of all, you know, and, and I remember when I was a kid, actually, I remember Oprah was like my 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 grandmother, my Filipina grandmother's favorite show. Do you think my she's going to run for president, by the way? Well?
0: <laughs> do, do, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> she's but my, talked my, my, about my grandmother
1: loved My grandmother loved Oprah, loves Oprah, right? And my grandmother, who's a naturalized U.S. citizen, her English, you know, it's, it's challenging for her, but she loves Oprah. And I remember after school, I think it was like middle school. And I'm watching Oprah with my grandmother, and this woman comes on. And my, it was Dr. Maya Angelou. And Maya Angelou says um, that I am a human being. <laughs> Nothing human is alien to me.
0: <sighs>
1: Apparently she was quoting a philosopher named Terrence. Mm-hmm. I just remember that sticking out to me, this idea that as a human being, you know, like we are not "quote unquote" illegal people, but beyond that, factually speaking, right, to be in this country illegally is a civil offense, not a criminal one, right? Actually, I don't know if you remember when Anthony, when Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote. An opinion during the Arizona versus United States case, he said, and I'm quoting, as a general rule, it is not a crime for a movable alien to remain in the United States. Mm -hmm. Right? So these are facts I'm noting here. Now, why is it to this day that The Washington Post and The New York Times and other news organizations still see it fit? To call, to call people broadly illegal. So the people right now, the young people right now who have DACA, you know, that, that executive order that President Obama signed, they have right now, by law, temporary legal status to be in the United States. And yet you read stories and hear stories all the time of these young people with that, with that program being called illegal. That's actually factually incorrect. Words matter here. And actually, the the day before the joint session, I was in New York uh, for this panel at the New York Public Library. It was journalism in the Trump era. And among the panelists were Jacob Weisberg of Slate, Shauna Thomas of um, Vice, and Dean Baquet of the New York Times, um, the top editor of the New York Times. And I gave them this fact sheet <laughs> that we have basically saying, here are six facts that every reporter – who reports on immigration should know before they print or produce their stories. And I was very happy to give it to them. We have emailed this fact sheet to journalism groups and to reporters who cover the issue, just so they understand not only the facts again,
0: but the context. So let me ask about you uh, coming out basically in 2011, your own story, uh, why you decided to make your story public and consequently on Tuesday evening, were you worried that you might get a tap on the shoulder and say, you're out of here?
1: Well, you know, as I said, I met you when I was a political reporter for The Post. I remember For The Washington Post. And, you know, and I was covering kind of uh, my my area of reporting was about the marriage of Internet and politics, right? And that was really the beginning of my thinking about how— Unsustainable, my situation was. Meaning, here I was as a journalist for the Washington Post of all places, and I lied to my employers about my own immigration status to get a job. I lied to my friends about why I couldn't go to a wedding in Mexico. I lied about, you know, actually, when I was at the Washington Post, one of the editors, the foreign editor, asked me to go to Iraq to be a foreign correspondent. And it was at the restaurant. It it was at a restaurant and I remember going to the bathroom, sitting in the toilet, thinking, Okay, what do I, what kind of lie do I have to tell him just so he can like understand why I don't want to be a foreign correspondent when so many of my friends were like, That was the goal was to be a foreign correspondent. And so after the campaign of O eight, I really was thinking about I actually got out of DC. I just felt so every day that I lived and worked in D C for those five five years were um Torture for me personally, just because I felt like I was living such a lie in the nation's capital. And whenever I saw the government buildings, I was scared of going into them. So it was almost like a ticking time bomb, right? I felt like I either have to come out, and you know, I've come out twice in my life, the first time as, as a gay person when I was in high school. I either come out or I leave, or I just quote unquote self deport, right? And I, I'm a good reporter, so I spent about six months reporting on what I should do. And it became very clear, to me at least, that coming, that self deporting and leaving would be the cowardly thing to do, especially given my own privilege and where I got, right?
0: Like, and you, your family
1: came from that, where? The Philippines came to the Philippines, uh, my grandparents, and they couldn't even my the reason I'm here illegally because my grandparents couldn't um, couldn't petition me because the relationship between a grandfather and a grandchild is not considered close enough. So the only way my grandfather got me here was to smuggle me. Now, again, that that should tell you a lot about the immigration system and how class and family situations all play a role in all this. Right. So came here illegally as twelve. I didn't realize that I was here as an undocumented person until I was sixteen, and then I discovered uh, journalism when I was seventeen. So this is all I've ever done, right? This is all I've ever done. And Define American, you know, the organization that I founded, in many ways is shaped by that. You know, we are not "quote unquote" an immigration advocacy group, although people call it that because it's easier for them to understand it. Like our job is how do we challenge and correct how the media reports on this issue. And now this is really crucial here, Steve. In this country, in the next 50 years, 88% of the total population growth is going to come from immigrants. 88%? Mostly Latino. 88% of the total population growth of America, the same America that can't even talk about black and white issues without having a heart attack, the same America that can't even figure out how to have a Black Lives Matter conversation, is going to be much more Latino, much more Asian, and much more mixed race. And within that are the 11 million undocumented population. The 11 million here who are here unlawfully are part of the 43 million immigrants total who are here in America right now. So understanding this issue is not a purely partisan political. This is like what our communities look like, right? What our schools look like, what our churches look like. And I was, you asked me what it felt like sitting there. I felt, and mind you, when um, Leader Pelosi first asked me, invited me to go, I actually my first instinct was not to go. I didn't think it was worth the risk. Certainly, lawyers who were advising me were like, you know, don't. This is not. This is not worth it. Was their main message, right? Like, it, you would basically be, you know, threatening the president to like do something. But then I thought about it more and more. And of course, I was I was heartened that so many congressional leaders, like Jared Polis, the congressman from Colorado, invited an undocumented young person. So many of them invited DACA eligible um, Americans. I felt that it was um, I felt that it was the right thing to do was to go was to show up because that's what we do as immigrants. Whether or not people understand why we even show up, that's what we do. We show up. And to me, citizenship, even though I don't have papers and the law doesn't say I'm a citizen, what it means to be a citizen of this country is you show up and you participate, even in places where they don't want you, even in the places that can't figure out why you're even there.
0: We're talking with Jose Antonio Vargas. Let me ask you about the policy side of all of this, Jose, because on Tuesday, in advance of his speech before a joint session of Congress, you were inside the House chamber. The president told a small group of anchors, Basically, telling us that he is open to the idea of what he called a comprehensive immigration bill if there's compromise on both sides. So, if that were to happen, what would it look like? Well, first of all,
1: uh, you know, if I'm a taxpayer, which I am, by the way, because undocumented immigrants pay billions of dollars in state and local taxes, another fact that the news media doesn't report. Before we decide on any sort of policy proposals and pass any more bills, spending any more billions of dollars trying to protect us from Mexico, I think the American public deserves the facts and the truth about this issue. Right? I thought it was very savvy of the president to do that before the State of the Union because you had a lot of the news anchors saying, hey, he's quote-unquote softening. But it's really hard to think about the softening when the hardening has been so hard. Right, like I'm, sitting, I'm sitting in front of my laptop right now um, talking to you, and I have five news articles open. One of them is of a man, um, of, a, of an undocumented Mexican man in Los Angeles who was arrested. His car was stopped, and he was arrested on the open road in Los Angeles in front of his children and his wife. And you can hear the daughter crying in the car. I heard of – we heard of a woman named Danny Vargas in Mississippi who participated in a press conference. Now, mind you, she was eligible for DACA. She was saving up money to apply for another round of DACA because – think about this for a second, Steve. These young people who are here illegally, who were brought here as children and didn't know they were here illegally, they have to pay $495 to the government so that the government doesn't deport them. So this woman had to save money because she didn't have the $495 to apply. After a press conference in which she said that I'm here, I want to be here, this is where I grew up, I want to be a math teacher, right? She was arrested by ICE right after the press conference, and she's now detained.
0: So how much fear is have, there in, in, this, in these communities?
1: I don't think I can even really measure that. I think it's— um, It's that deep. It's, it's deep, and it's, 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 it's a fear that doesn't even have language for it, I think, because we're all trying to understand why can't people see us in them? Like, what is
0: this really about? So why right? is that? How, how would you answer your own question?
1: Because, look, I mean, I think—and actually, for me, this is how this started for me in the '08 election— when I went, I mean, that was really the first time I got to spend time in Iowa and in Wisconsin and Ohio. And, you know, like the American people are suffering, right? Like the working class, all ethnic and racial backgrounds in this country, not just white working class, all working class people in this country are struggling, right? People want someone to blame, right? When President Trump announced he was running for president, what did he do? What is the first thing out of his mouth, right? It's Mexico, it's these people right to blame and for the most part the news media played right along with it didn't saturday night live ask him to host saturday night live Mm -hmm. the same saturday night live by the way that is now profiting from him being president right now mind you there aren't many i would actually and this is me as a journalist right if there were more latinos and latinas in positions of power in american newsrooms not only telemundo and univision which to me has been playing a really critical role in the Latino community. If there were more Latinas and Latinos in American museums across this country, immigration would not be covered the way that it is. Right? There are over 50 million Latinos in this country. Mind you, most of them are here as US citizens. 73% of all Asian adults in America are immigrants. Asian, Asian people are more immigrants than Latinos are immigrants. And yet when it comes to this issue, it's Mexico, it's Latinos, it's brown people, right? So I, um, if there was ever a time for us in the news media to really look at ourselves and make sure that we're asking harder questions and that we're providing context, facts, and humanity to people,
0: I think this is a moment to do it. And so for you, obviously, this is a personal issue, this is a passion, so let me conclude with this question: What's next for you? what What do you want to do to try to advance your um, own cause?
1: Well, I hope people are listening. Could go to defineamerican.com. dot com. I have, um, you know, when I started doing this work six years ago, I really had to ask myself this hard question of: How do I make sure that I'm creating something that speaks? To the issue beyond myself right so that's why define american was born like the question of how do you define american and in many ways people in our own communities in our own towns they have to define that for themselves who they want to welcome and what they are about um i have to say that for me i am um, I've been prepared for everything, and even more now, I have to be prepared for everything. I have, to prepare, I have to be prepared for the worst. I have to be prepared for whatever they decide to do when, I, when I'm traveling across the country. Um, I'm prepared for all of that. But what, I am, what for me is the most important thing is how do we have impact? You know, like How do we really change the way people think about this issue and talk about this issue? And so my, my, uh, my mission and purpose is very clear. And so long as that's clear, I'm okay, right? Like no amount of detention or deprecation, that's not really what I'm scared of, mm-hmm. frankly, to be honest with you. Um, I'm more scared of what can we do at this moment as an organization? Like what can we do to help what we can help?
0: Jose Antonio Vargas, joining us from New York City. Thanks very much for being with us.
1: Thanks, much for having me.
0: This has been C-SPAN's The Sidebar. Be sure to follow C-SPAN and C-SPAN Radio on Twitter, and let us know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes using the hashtag C-SPAN Sidebar. If you like the program, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast player, Every C-SPAN podcast is available on the free C-SPAN radio app for Apple and Android devices, as well as iTunes, Google Play Music, TuneIn, and Stitcher. C-SPAN's The Sidebar, coming soon to a podcast player near you. Thank you for listening.